It's said that your real life begins where your comfort zone ends. Well, it's about to get real as we have radically authentic conversations to help you thrive in your personal and professional life while navigating the twists and turns of being human. Buckle up, because this might get uncomfortable. Starts right now with Whitney Lordson. For anyone who's listened to the show for the last year, three years since the show's been running, I've talked a lot about my issues with sleep. (laughs) And it's been a big challenge and a mystery for me. And for those that have not heard me talk about it, I'll give a quick summary, which is most of my life, at least since I was a teenager, I have been talking in my sleep and having episodes of sleepwalking. And for most of my life, I thought of that as just something funny about me, like just odd. It would be my little factoid when somebody would say, what's something unique about you? I'd try to remember to tell them about my sleepwalking and talking. And over the years, I noticed a lot of people would look at me with these big eyes of shock and they'd be so interested And I started to realize, wow, this is really unique. This is kind of an odd thing that most people don't know or don't do. They don't know that much about it. I've gotten a lot of questions about my experience over time. And it wasn't until the last year or two that I thought, maybe this isn't just something weird about me. Maybe this is something that I should actually take more seriously. So I started getting some or seeking, I should say, medical support and doing a lot of research. And actually through talking about that more on the podcast, one person reached out to me a few months ago and mentioned, I believe it's called REM sleep disorder. And I didn't really understand what it was, but it sounded a lot like my symptoms. So I went down this whole research rabbit hole. And that's where I came across today's guest, Jill. I found one of her articles on this website called Sleep Advisor and went down a little bit of a rabbit hole reading her wonderful articles that were so well-researched and also very approachable. They felt welcoming. They weren't like some big study with a lot of confusing lingo. They felt like something I could understand. They gave me some hope. And there was just something about the way that Jill writes that drew me in. And so I reached out to her and asked if she would come on the show. And here she is today. So that's a little background (laughs) on why she's here and who she is. And Jill, I'm so excited to get to know more about you a little bit for the listener. While she isn't a medical professional, she is something called a certified sleep science coach. And I told her, I don't know what that is. So now I get to find out in real time along with the listener. So what does that mean to be that coach? And how does that work with the journalism that you do on publications like Sleep Advisor? Yeah, well, thank you for having me on, Whitney. First of all, it's really, really great to be here. And I appreciate the kind words on the writing and research. A certified sleep science coach is basically someone who is knowledgeable in a lot of like science-backed tips to improve sleep. So like good habits that are aimed at fostering better sleep in general. 
So that must tie into the sleep hygiene, which is something that you had told me about when I first reached out. And it's not a term that I use that much, but I think in your words, you said sleep hygiene is a term used to describe daily habits that support good sleep health. Am I getting that right? Yep. Yeah. It's just an overarching term for those habits. And of course, good sleep hygiene is sleep habits that foster better rest, whereas like bad sleep hygiene is the opposite, right? (laughs) Doing things that can hinder your sleep quality. I feel like I have tried every sleep hygiene tip in the book. And (laughs) it reminds me a lot of general wellness, where there just seems like so many things you can do. And I'm curious, in your words, Jill, like what are some of the top sleep hygiene tips? And do they work for most people? Or is everybody just trying to figure out the perfect formula for themselves? Yeah, the ones that I think are probably the top ones would be going to bed and waking up at the same time every day, like keeping a consistent schedule, because it basically trains your internal clock, right? That I'm going to start feeling sleepy at this time and then start feeling awake at this time. It just also ensures that you're more likely to get enough sleep if you're scheduling it accordingly. You're not going to bed so late and then missing out on a few extra hours of sleep. I think another one would be also ensuring that your sleep space is conducive to sleep. So that would be having like a bedroom that's cool, dark, and quiet. Those are really important environmental factors that can help people sleep better. Now that you're saying it, part of me is thinking, okay, I have experimented with them, but I still feel like I don't know if I'm getting them right, especially with that first tip. (laughs) Ironically, I'm (laughs) like, that's really hard for me. It wasn't until fairly recently that I became more determined to go to bed around the same time and wake up around the same time for most of my life, unless I had to get up at a certain time, I would just be so much happier to wake up naturally without an alarm. And Mm -hmm. my body would actually get in a sort of rhythm, but going to bed at the same time has felt like a huge challenge for me most of my life. In your research, is that a common issue? Is it hard for people to stay on a schedule when it comes to sleep? It can be. Teenagers, for example, like that's a time when the circadian rhythms, there's like changes in that where they're maybe more programmed to start wanting to go to bed later versus earlier, especially at that time in your life. And how about for you? Like with all this research that you're doing, (laughs) you know so much, but how much of it are you able to implement easily and effectively? And are there any elements of sleep hygiene that you struggle with? Oh, that's a great question. I have been pretty good since I would say probably the past three years. I've been like good about going to bed earlier. And a lot of this is obviously reading about that consistent sleep schedule and how those benefits can work. So I've been able to be pretty good about it. I mean, there are certainly nights where I'm just like, I just maybe need a little bit of extra time to like decompress. So maybe instead of 9.30, I'm going to bed at 10 or 10.30 or something. But I've 
definitely been trying to stay pretty good about that and waking up at the same time. I have an average of six to seven in the morning, maybe closer to seven on the weekends. So that part has been easier also just because of my general like work schedule. I worked overnight in news for a few years and that was (laughs) really hard on my body. So I'm trying to make up for it now. (laughs) Yeah, it's hard because I think that's what makes sleep so tricky. It's something that's natural and required. Like none of us can escape it. We have to sleep if we want to live. I think some people feel like they can get away with not a lot of sleep. And I'm curious in your research and studies too, Jill, if it is truly possible. Like for example, early on in my entrepreneurship endeavors, and especially when I was really focused on the more traditional like social media influencing content world, I was studying all these business tips and I was looking at case studies of people that were really successful online. And a great majority of them seem to be sacrificing their sleep. I remember a few cases of people that I thought were at the top of their fields and I really Mm -hmm. admired them. And one thing that they seemed to have in common was that they weren't sleeping a lot. In fact, the number that came up most often was that they were getting approximately four hours of sleep each night. And in that moment, I thought, I would rather get my eight or nine hours of sleep that my body seems to need than sacrifice that and be more successful. And I'm curious, Jill, is it really sustainable to just get four hours of sleep? And do you think it's worth it to have like short-term success or even long-term success, whatever that might be, but put your body at risk of maybe long-term health issues that come along with not getting enough sleep? I think that you can certainly get by, but it's not inherently healthy, right? Like you've probably heard average eight hours of sleep a night and that's important. That's what a lot of the medical community suggests or there's a range of seven to nine hours. Some people might need closer to nine. Some people might need closer to seven. And the thing with the short amount of sleep, you can wind, it limits your cognitive and physical capabilities and emotions. For example, it's harder to concentrate when you're sleep deprived. So speaking from experience overnight in news, you can get by, but it's not inherently healthy and your abilities are limited and it puts you at risk for more long-term health issues. There's been lots of research done on the long-term effects of sleep deprivation. There's links to Alzheimer's with a lack of sleep and weight gain and cardiovascular issues. And it's just, you don't want to necessarily put yourself at risk if you can get the right amount of sleep. I don't have kids but a lot of my friends do. And I hear them talk about how little sleep they get. And it's just like one of the elements of that choice in life. And I actually think that's one reason that I may never have kids. It's like, I don't know if I want to be sleep deprived for five, 10 years or however long it ends up being. Like that to me sounds really unpleasant. So there are things that I feel like I have to give up in order to get restful sleep. And I feel like that's such an odd side of our lives personally and professionally. Does this come up for you? Or are these the type of things that you think about when you're doing all of this work? 
I probably would feel more like if I was in my 20s, I'm in my 30s now, just for transparency, I would probably feel more like, oh, I have to stay out later on the weekend. I can catch up on sleep or something. But I feel like now it's like I don't want to be out late. So it's a little bit easier. But yeah, and I'm not a parent either. So I can only imagine the difficulty there with trying to get enough sleep, especially if you're a parent to an infant and trying to manage your sleep there. So yeah, I think you do have to sacrifice in some ways, probably just, okay, like I'm gonna maybe not do the 1am bedtime (laughs) on Saturday night. But if it's something where it can improve your mental health and your physical health and everything, I think that it's definitely worth it, especially if you've been struggling lately and you feel like stressed out and stuff. Certainly taking better care of your overall health, including your sleep, would be a good thing. You mentioned different age ranges, right? At one point, the teenagers in the circadian rhythm changes and being in your 20s versus your 30s. And it is interesting how in different stages of our life, especially revolving around age transitions, we have different relationships with sleep. As children, it seems really hard to regulate and we often need a parental figure to support us in getting to bed at a certain time. And then at teenagers, it seems common to rebel against that and want to stay up really late and also seem like we have a different endurance for a low amount of sleep. And in your 20s too, like you said, there's a tolerance for it a lot of times. I mean, I've thought about sleep a lot in different stages of my life and it always has felt like a struggle And I'm curious, like, as I get older, what that'll be like. They say, like, when you get maybe in your twilight years or whatever, you don't need a lot of sleep anymore. But yet it seems very common for people in an older age to easily go to bed early. Even in your 30s, you start to think, oh, I don't want to stay up till 1 a.m. anymore. (laughs) But maybe like in your 70s or 80s, like, it seems common to go to bed at like 6 or 7 (laughs) p.m. And wake up at like 4 a.m. or whatever. And that's fascinating to me too. Is that something that comes up in your research? Like why or how sleep correlates with different age periods? Yeah. With regards to teenagers, they do have that where it's like their circadian rhythm does change a little bit. So they're more inclined to stay up a little bit later. And I've definitely read up that there are some schools that are taking this into consideration and maybe proposing later start times and things to better ensure that those kids get enough sleep. With older adults, a lot of times they might have a little, like a shorter sleep duration and they typically get like less deep sleep too. So as you age, you're going to get less deep sleep that you used to have when you're a child and growing. And that sleep is very restorative. That's why younger people need that. So yeah. Since you mentioned deep sleep, I'm curious if you have experimented with sleep trackers, because that's something that I just started doing a few months ago. I got this device called a WHOOP, W-H-O-O-P. And it's similar to another brand that I considered getting an aura ring, which seemed to be a little bit more popular. And both of them you wear all of the time and they monitor your health metrics. For me, I really Mm -hmm. wanted to monitor sleep. And it's been interesting looking at the data. Every morning I wake up excited to see how I slept. 
And it's mm-hmm. shocking, Jill, what how I feel like I've slept versus what the data says about my sleep. And sometimes I'm able to get a lot of deep sleep. And sometimes I don't get a lot of deep sleep. And I'm so confused about why. I mean, going back to the very beginning, we were talking about sleep hygiene. I have tried like every tip out there. I could spend probably 20 minutes listing out everything I've done and tried (laughs) and all the combinations. And I've even done all my own personal sleep studies of tracking all of this stuff and trying to see how it correlates with sleep. And yet some days I just don't know why I didn't sleep as well. And again, that was part of the reason someone like you is so fascinating because you spend so much time looking at all of these sleep influences, including mattresses, pillows, blankets. I'm curious, have you ever done experiments with sleep trackers? Does that come up in your research or product reviews yet? I personally haven't, but I shouldn't say that. I have a Fitbit at home. I've written about my Fitbit, but I would say that in my just personal experience, I had that too, where I was like, oh, I feel pretty good waking up. So I'll look at my stats and I didn't really get much sleep, let alone deep sleep. And I'm like, wait a minute, no. And the thing that I found, and this is just me personally, that it almost gave me more anxiety like seeing that, I was like, oh, I'm just stressing myself out because I didn't get enough sleep. Like that can almost happen too, where you're trying so hard that you're driving yourself crazy, like wondering, I'm doing all these things and I'm not seeing the result. Yeah, I, I don't really use my Fitbit regularly, but when I've tried to, that I had the same thing happen where I didn't get as much rest logged in that data as I thought I had. <laughs> Isn't that fascinating? I'm, again, in this stage where I was so determined to figure things out. But I guess what you're inspiring within me right now is to not be attached to it actually working out. Like I'm trying to look at it as an experiment and collecting some things, but not always in this mindset of if this, then that. Because I found with sleep, just because I try something and check off all the sleep hygiene boxes doesn't mean that it's going to equate to all the restful sleep that I'm craving because there's so many factors and anxiety is one of them, right? I mean, that's something that I'm trying to become more educated on right now is just how anxiety can manifest even when you're not conscious anymore. (laughs) Like in my experience, (laughs) I think I've discovered that Sometimes I'm trying to control my anxiety and stress so much during my waking hours that when I sleep, it kind of like goes wild because it needs a chance to express itself and release itself. At least that's my current hypothesis. And it's part of the fascination with sleep. It's not just about the physical experience of closing your eyes and relaxing for as long as possible. But our brain is like doing all sorts of things while we're sleeping. It's recovering. But then there's like the dreams that we might have and maybe processing ideas. Does that come up in your work at all? Or are you mostly focused on the more physical elements of, I don't even know how to call it because <laughs> these phrases are <laughs> new to me. So I'm curious, does your research ever come up across things like dream work or the consciousness stages that happen while we're sleeping? There is a lot of interesting conversations to be had about like the meaning behind dreams and 
perhaps things that maybe come up in your dreams that you are like, where did this come from? Interesting topics like that, that I think are definitely worth exploring more. And dreams are very fascinating. I still dream occasionally. And it's very interesting to, I think, look at the possibility of why we do it. And there is something that happens when you are in REM sleep. So you have more brain activity. And that's typically when you dream. So physically, that's a reason why you might dream during that time, but maybe a philosophical reason. Why am I thinking what I'm thinking in this dream? The other thing that I didn't realize until I started tracking my sleep was that, and I'm curious if I'm getting this right, that an REM, your brain activity is so heightened during that time. Am I getting that right? Like it's more active period of your sleep. And that's yeah, why yeah. you might have more intense dreams or yeah, not necessarily. Absolutely. That's one of the reasons like why you might start dreaming during REM sleep is because of that heightened brain activity. Okay. Because that makes me wonder too, when I'm looking at my sleep metrics, my device supposedly, I mean, listen, it's not the same as doing a sleep study where you're connected to all these wires, which I've done. And I'm sure they're giving you much more in-depth data than something you're wearing around your wrist. But my whoop band does claim to measure REM. And I wonder if it's just through like your heart rate metrics or something. But what, what confuses me is it'll sometimes say I barely went through REM stages. And yet I tend to have very vivid dreams and I can remember a lot of them. So I think this is where sleep can feel so confusing like the data, as we were saying, like yeah. it doesn't always correlate to how we feel or what we experience. And I think that's why sleep feels so mysterious. It's like, mm-hmm. okay, the data says one thing, but I'm noticing or experiencing another. So what do I believe or lean into? Like, how do I find the sleep that is most effective for me? Certainly what we've found in our research is that more people tend to dream in REM sleep. And a lot of that is you do have that heightened brain activity, which REM sleep, rapid eye movement, your eyes are moving or they're closed, but they're moving underneath, heightened heart rate, breathing rate. So there could be a link there though, where those trackers pick up on the heightened heart rate and breathing rate, things like that. Yeah, it's so fascinating because if you don't track this data, like it's almost like this huge part of your life, you don't even know what's happening to you. I think that's part of my curiosity is (laughs) when I was a teenager starting to experience the sleepwalking and sleep talking, I actually set up a camera for the first time all those years ago. I had a camera that had night vision feature and I set it up on a tripod and I filmed myself sleeping because I was just curious, like what was going on with my body? that I wasn't remembering. And it's just been an ongoing study for me. And I found even when I have gone to sleep specialists, it still requires a lot of data collection with them. I recently went to a sleep medicine doctor because for the first time I feel willing to try medication. And I've started to experiment with various medications to see how they impact my sleep. And even they are just shrugging their shoulders and guessing. It's, I think that's why sleep feels so mysterious. And even for you, it feels like you do so much research. Your articles are vast. Where I was scrolling through and just thinking like, wow, this feels like 
you've covered so many topics and yet there's still so much more to learn about sleep. And I find that fascinating when I go to doctors, you could say this about many elements of coaching or the medical professions, like the human experience is so vast and unique to each person that it's an ongoing mystery. And sometimes that feels really exciting. And sometimes that feels really frustrating. Like for me, I like to have answers and I've had to learn to just be like, maybe I will never have an answer to why I have these sleep issues. Like maybe going back to what we were saying about the tracking, like I could spend all of this time trying to collect data and figure things out. Or what if I just let it be and not try to figure it out? Maybe that is going to ultimately be the conclusion or because I could collect so much and still not have answers. And is it worth spending all of that time trying to figure it out? And I imagine to an extent you might feel the same with all the research you've done. One thing I was curious, you've written a lot about mattresses (laughs) and I wonder, A, have you tried all of the mattresses you've written about? And B, does it just feel like there's always going to be a new mattress coming out and new technology? Like you're never going to be able to know what the perfect mattress is? Or do you feel like after all your experience, you've narrowed it down and understand mattresses really well? Well, we have a review team that tests the mattresses and everything. But I have tested personally the Nectar mattress. And I really enjoyed that one. That was like just a personal favorite too. The cool thing about mattresses in particular is there's so much, especially if you're like shopping online versus in store, there's so much out there that there's a mattress type for everybody, right? They have mattresses out there for plus size sleepers. They have mattresses out there that are maybe specifically geared towards side sleepers. We've got memory foam and we've got hybrids and inner springs, latex, some more like tech focused beds. So there's really a great opportunity for people to find the right bed for them. It's just, yeah, a matter of finding really that right one. But that also feels like an issue in itself because I'm very dedicated to this one mattress brand called Essentia and they make these organic, I don't know if they call them memory foam. That's the other thing too. There's so much different terminology, but they're latex mattresses, I believe. And I've loved that brand for many years. But over time, there have been some competitors that have really looked appealing. And I started researching different options and felt deeply overwhelmed. Like, how do you choose a mattress if there are just so many options and so many different things to consider? It still feels tough. I would almost say that because there's a mattress for, quote, everyone, how do you decide what everyone you are. Well, there's like certain factors that can help whittle down your decision, right? You'll want to look at your sleep position, your body weight. Body weight is important because that can impact the feel of a bed, particularly the firmness. A very, very lightweight person is going to feel a mattress differently than a plus size person. So that's also important category to take into consideration. Then you have other factors like cooling. If you're a hot sleeper and you're struggling to sleep because it's hot or maybe you just live in a warm climate, maybe you're going to want to prioritize a mattress with cooling features. A 
big category for couples is motion isolation, which refers to beds that keep motion concentrated to one side of the bed, right? So if your partner tosses and turns at night, a good motion isolating mattress is going to make it so you're not feeling those movements on the other side. So there's a number of different factors that you have to look at with one, your sleep position, body weight, and then other preferences that are particular to your lifestyle and needs. And then also maybe you just like the feel of memory foam or you want a bouncy bed that could make it easier to reposition if you're somebody with like limited mobility, for example. Those are ways to help whittle things down. That's helpful. Just knowing that if you sat down and thought about everything that was important to you with a mattress, narrow down the key things. And then probably experimenting with them. One thing I like about the modern day mattress companies is they allow you to try out the mattress for a certain period Mm -hmm. of time and you can return it if you don't like it. And that didn't seem like an option when I was growing up. I remember like going to mattress stores with my parents and you'd sit down and try something and feel like you were stuck with it for 10 years. (laughs) And that was the other thing too, like the ignorance I had about all those different factors when it comes to sleep, how much they impact you over time. And you certainly notice this when you travel and you're sleeping on a mattress that's different than yours. Sometimes you're going to get really awful sleep because of the mattress or perhaps even better sleep. And that could indicate that the mattress at home might not be the right fit for you. And cost is a huge factor too. When I bought my first mattress, like after I moved out of my dormitory at college and I was living on my own, I was so intimidated by mattress prices, but it seems like there's a mattress for everyone price-wise too. Have you found that to be true? There are a lot of companies that have become really affordable. Yeah, absolutely. And there's variation there. Some people might want to splurge for the really high-end bed, whereas others might budget is a big factor and they want to skew lower. So there's definitely something out there for everybody. And there's a lot of like mid-range options too. And so that's a really great benefit that there's variety out there. That being said, I would say also like the cool thing about online shopping is that you don't have the retailers, which are like kind of like the middlemen. So that can kind of cut those overhead costs. It's another way to be great advantage for consumers. Yeah, absolutely. We are definitely in a good time for buying mattresses. It's just the abundance of choices, I suppose, is the only downside. I've noticed it in the past two to three years. Like suddenly it just seems like there's so much offering. Is that because the market has opened up and that people have realized how much money there is to be made from sleep? Or is it perhaps a little bit more about accessibility and really acknowledging that people need more support with sleep and they're trying to come up with new solutions? My best guess would be just the prominence in online shopping. And when you shop online, you have access to so much more. I think there was also probably a connection with the pandemic too, with people maybe prioritizing sleep more or maybe just being at home and having more time to, from the consumer side, look into their sleep habits. And with the abundance of products online, that could have been too, okay, more people are shopping online. So businesses built their sales model accordingly, but that's just my best guess. So that's possibly what caused that. 
Yeah, that makes sense to me. I think without knowing the data that maybe that was one of the few times that people have had an opportunity (laughs) to slow down (laughs) their lives and actually get rest. Certainly for me, even though I've been working for myself for so long, I remember the shift it had of, oh, I don't have to go out anymore. I mean, I used to do so much outside the home, even though I work from home, there was events and parties and conferences and on and on. There was just like always something to do out and being able to just stay at home because everybody was staying at home and then feeling like there was, quote, nothing to do except watch TV, read books, play video games, sleep, all these kind of basic things. Maybe it did help people reprioritize And then even give companies the opportunity to develop new things and to Mm -hmm. emphasize them in the marketing now that people are actually paying more attention. And that would be a curious thing. I would be curious to do the research on that and see if there are any studies on how sleep has been impacted. But it also seems like stress and anxiety have gone way up. I've seen a lot of data on the mental health Mm -hmm. side of things unfortunately seemed to get worse since the pandemic, or maybe it was just being more paid attention to, I guess, same thing could be said. Has it always been a big struggle? And are we now just paying more attention? Did something shift during the pandemic where it awoke at our awareness? And because of stress and anxiety's impact on sleep, I wonder, like, did sleep get worse? I mean, all of these questions I have about sleep is really fascinating. And given those questions, Jill, I'm curious, how does somebody begin to research sleep in an intentional way? They're obviously sleep advisor is an amazing resource, but you're going to other sources yourself to find the data to back up the points that you're making on sleep advisor. How do you go about finding all of the answers to these big questions. Does it take a lot of time? Do you have like databases <laughs> you have to go through? Like, how do you do it? Depending on the topic, sometimes you need to do a bigger dive into getting like at Sleep Advisor, like we want to focus on using sources that are scientifically backed. So studies and quality sources that really focus on the science of it, the data there. And with that being said, It's important to, I think, consider that there are multiple studies on topics too. And we've certainly found that. And some studies might have one result, other studies might have another. So I think, of course, like Sleep Advisor is there as a great resource. And I think looking on your own too, definitely check out studies. And we try to make it more digestible for everybody, certainly. Because, I mean, reading a study from researchers might be harder in some cases. But those are great opportunities to find out where the research is being done and what they're finding. And it's really fascinating. (laughs) It must be fascinating for you to have written so many articles. And I'm curious, how did you get into this world? I meant to ask you this at the beginning, but given your background (laughs) working in entertainment and somehow sleep kind of being at odds with the entertainment industry, as I've perceived at least... Why is it that you started to focus so much on this? And how long has it been since you've been doing all the sleep research and coaching? Yeah, I have been with Sleep Advisor for two years now. But before that, I was a writer, mainly freelance, and I worked in news 
and then before that, of course, the entertainment industry. Originally coming to Sleep Advisor with a writing and journalism background. But interestingly enough, I would say it was a very fascinating topic for me in particular because I lost out on so much sleep for the two years that I was in broadcasting because I was working morning news. So I was working overnight. So I really leaned into my curiosity for it. And I've been with Sleep Advisor ever since. (laughs) And how about the coaching side of it? You talked a little bit about that at the beginning. Did that come out of your experience with Sleep Advisor? Or was that a separate endeavor for you to become a... And I want to make sure I get the word right. Certified Sleep Science Coach. What was that journey like? Yeah. So I became a certified sleep science coach in July of last year. And I found it was just another way to improve my knowledge as a writer and researcher of sleep and being able to provide our readers with my own better understanding of ways to help improve sleep. So that was really a big goal behind that. You might have inspired me to look into becoming a sleep coach too. (laughs) And then maybe I can finally get the answers to all these endless questions that I have. But it seems like one of the big takeaways I have from talking with you is that there's just so much information. (laughs) There's so much to learn. Even with what you were saying, the conflicting studies, I guess it all depends who you talk to and it depends on what research has currently been done and Maybe in a way, and it could certainly be overwhelming and frustrating, but perhaps a takeaway is that if there aren't ever any finite answers and perfect solutions, maybe we can all just relax a little bit more and just (laughs) try our best to sleep and not worry too much about getting it right. I agree. I think at the end of the day, doing your best is always the goal. We're not always going to get it right, even when we know what to do. But I think setting yourself up for success is, I would say, the ultimate goal with sleep. And that manifests itself in a number of ways, whether it's keeping the same bedtime, wake up time or getting yourself a new mattress. There's all kinds of ways. So yeah, it just depends on what works for you. And some things might not work for everybody. Maybe you find that melatonin doesn't do the trick for you, but somebody else might find that they have a lot of success with that. Yeah, that's so true. I've been actually experimenting a lot with melatonin recently. And it's, again, like there, it's just one big experiment. And I don't know, sometimes it seems to work, other times it doesn't. And one thing that's helped me a lot is talking to doctors. So I actually had an appointment with a psychiatrist and went over and tried to learn more about melatonin and heard about the pros and cons. And that gave me peace of mind. But ultimately, she said, just experiment with it. (laughs) Like She alleviated my fears around it being dangerous because I heard all these myths about melatonin and people have all these opinions about it. But I think if you can talk to a medical professional and maybe do some research along the way, for example, using Sleep Advisor to start your journey and read the articles that someone like you is writing, Jill, you can bring those to your doctor share what you're learning and see what the doctor thinks and if that's a good solution for you. And then once you've crossed that, you begin to experiment. And that's basically been my path. But this conversation, I think, is also great for pointing out how complex sleep is. Like Even though it is something very simple that we all naturally do, I think sleep issues are extremely common, 
essentially the majority of people are struggling with sleep in one way or another. And maybe just knowing that we're not alone in sleep challenges, whatever they might be, and recognizing that it's a complex thing that we don't have to do perfectly and we don't have to have shame around our sleep. And even if you can only get four hours of sleep, maybe that you don't have a choice. That's just what your body's doing right now for one reason or another. I think that's a takeaway here too is you can study it. You can be certified in sleep. You could even be a sleep doctor and not have all the answers. So take away yeah. some of the internalized shame and just say, I'm doing the best that I can. And I'm following the tips that I'm learning on a site like Sleep Advisor for my hygiene. And that's good enough. <laughs> I think that's great advice. Yeah, doing the best you can. And sometimes life circumstances, like we talked earlier about being a parent, if you have a small child, maybe it's going to be harder to get those eight hours a night. But I think just, yeah, being kind to yourself, doing the best you can with the knowledge you have is a good way to look at it. Jill, you have also reminded me exactly why I was so drawn to your work because you come across so kind and open. And it really comes through in your words, the written words, as well as the spoken words today. But <laughs> what I felt from you while reading your articles has really proven to be true and speaking with you today. And that is very comforting because at the very least, when you're trying to figure out sleep, it's nice when it's done in a comforting way and you feel like, okay, this mm -hmm. person is kind and caring like you are, Jill. So for anyone who wants to follow me along the journey in reading all of Jill's wonderful articles about mattresses and various sleep products and conditions. So for anyone who wants to check it out, I'm going to link to Sleep Advisor <laughs> and specifically Jill's page with all of her countless articles. Thank you for the work that you're doing for people who are seeking answers like I am. I really appreciate that. I appreciate your kind spirit around this. And it's been really lovely talking with you and getting to know you. Oh, thank you very much for having me. You're absolutely welcome. And for those that are eager to dive in more, there's a full blog post, which has the transcript from today's episode, all the links that we've mentioned today, all the terms that have been referenced, they're in one place. <laughs> at wellevator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. You can also just look below your podcast player and there's a little summary there, which will include a link to Jill and a link to the full article to make it really easy for you to start to dig in more to all of this research. Thanks again for listening and I'll be back with another episode in just a few days. Bye for now. Thanks for listening and getting out of your comfort zone with us today. For show notes and more high-performance resources to help you thrive, go to wellevator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com.